Uh, honored for this. So, so Youth Sunday, if you don't know, this is a time uh, once a year where the youth get to take over the service. And so you probably saw the sluices welcoming and the band and everything. And, and this is a time not only for us to highlight what's happening in youth ministry, which is a lot of really cool things, but it's also a time for us to thank you as a church. Uh, because Central is a church that loves student ministry. It's, it's one that, that encourages and empowers students in their role in the church, as well as uh, helping provide a safe place for them to walk through uh, journeys of faith and, and walks with God and doubt and, and all that in, in a safe environment. And so this is a moment for us to say thank you. Thank you for, for giving us that opportunity to love students well and, and pass on faith to the next generation. Because it's important. It's important for, for students to have a place where they can wrestle through some of this stuff. When I was in grade 12, uh, I went on a school trip and they brought us to a cemetery, which was a very encouraging place to bring us. And uh, the teacher who brought, I, I honestly don't know why we went there, but the teacher that brought us there, he, he had us line up and he said, okay, imagine from, from that end of the cemetery to this end of the cemetery, there were sewing needles and they're all pinned into the ground, all touching each other. And, and what you see with those needles is, is the history of the world. And from, from start to finish, and one of those needles is a lifetime. So you are one sewing needle in the span of many, many sewing needles. He said, honestly, do you remember your, like, do you know your grandparents' names? And we're all like, yeah, we know our grandparents' names. He said, okay, what about like your great, 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 great grandparents? And all of us, none of us knew uh, and he said, okay, that's only five sewing needles away or four sewing needles away. So, so your legacy will fade. He said, your life matters for the present and maybe for a few other lives, but honestly, live for the present because your legacy is going to fade. I don't know who hurt this man <laughs> to bring a bunch of grade 12s out to give this really weird lesson. But as a Christian, I, I was not confused, but, but I was working through that because it kind of flew in the face of what I knew Christianity to be, which is that we are part of a, of a greater legacy. Yeah, maybe our names will fade, but, but the story of God continues through history. The, the story of, of God saving his people, that presses on as we continue to share faith, as we continue to, to lead people more and more young people and, and others to a worship and saving knowledge of God. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, this fact that, that our sewing needles matter as we pass on faith to the next generation. And so this morning, we are going to be in Psalm 78. So if you're Bibles, you can turn there. Psalm 78, uh, written by a guy named Asaph, and, and he was someone who wrote musical composition in a prophetic way. And so he used his gift in, in music to encourage God's people to remember who God was so that they could be encouraged in the present, in, in the struggles that they were going through, in, in, in the, the journeys that they were in now, learning from the past in order to be equipped in the present. And so he was writing in the time of King David and, and of Solomon. And, and we're going to focus on the introductory verses, so saw, uh, verses 1 through 8, because I think it highlights really well the importance of learning from the past and engaging future generations with stories of salvation in our own lives. So I invite you to stand as we uh, read Psalm 78 this morning. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. 
I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from, or hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might, the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God, not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning that we can sing and worship you. And now as we learn from your word, Holy Spirit, I ask that it would be you who is, who is speaking, that anything that is not of you would be forgotten and dismissed. Uh, but Lord, would you, would you challenge us, your people, through your word as we seek to know you greater. We love you. Pray this in your name. Amen. You can grab a seat. There's a, uh, there's a problem going on in, in church right now. There's a problem in this kind of Western uh, church. And uh, I have a few studies I want to share with you. I love studies, and there's going to be a lot of them in the sermon, and so apologies in advance. But uh, through a few studies that I've found, there's, there's an agreement that, people, that, that these people doing the studies have found that, that 66 to 80% of young people who are in church today will walk away from the church by the time they exit high school. Another study found uh, by 2050 that there's an estimated 35 million young people who will have walked away from the faith that they professed in their youth and, and followed a different way. And I've seen how this works out practically. I grew up in youth group, and I can say with accuracy that 20% of the people that I went to youth with are still pursuing the Lord and, and pursuing his ways, and the other 80 are, are pursuing ways that completely cast out Jesus, cast out God, cast out church altogether. And, and statistics aren't perfect. They can easily be manipulated to say what you want them to say or misconstrued. But with something as blunt as... 35 million students are going to walk away from their faith. The least it should do is cause us to take pause and say something's wrong or something's, something's happening. Why is this happening? And, and how do we stop it? And I'm very thankful for smarter people than myself who have been asking the same question over the last few years, youth workers and, and psychologists, sociologists. And uh, through a few studies, they found uh, five key things that relate to students walking away from their faith and walking away from the church. First, they're finding that young people aren't finding the answers to the hard questions that they're asking. If they're going to church and maybe the pastor's answering questions they're not asking, while things regarding justice or, or sexual ethic or mental health, these things are met with, with silence. Second, they're finding that more time has been spent teaching kids how to live right or how to live morally upright lives rather than how to live every day pursuing Jesus. Third, they found that young people have been taking notice that the faith that their parents profess don't actually line up with what their parents do. And so a staggering 32% of young adults surveyed left the church because of what they would highlight as parental hypocrisy. Fourth, faith is not being held as a priority in households. So young people are seeing that, that the faith thing doesn't matter maybe as much as they're being told that it does uh, because it comes second to sports or to school or to friends or, or the list goes on and on. And, and fifth, they're finding that, that deep connections aren't being formed in church. 
uh, whether with peers or with caring adults. 29% of young people surveyed left because they said their relationships were surface level and, and easily abandoned. And so I don't want to bring this up in a way of, of making, uh, arousing anger or casting blame, but at least to establish that, that we have a problem, that, that something's going on, going on where, where students aren't being engaged with the gospel um, in a way that, that connects with them in churches and, and in homes. And, and it's not going to be solved with more programming or more, doing more things. The, the only way forward is through gospel-centered relationships that pass on faith with urgency and with passion. And so this morning, I'm talking to a few different uh, groups of people. First, I'm talking to parents. And, and I'm not talking to parents as, as an expert parent myself, because my child is very small. And she is now starting to learn how to manipulate things just a little bit, but she's very manageable. So not talking as an expert parent, um, but talking as someone, speaking as someone who's been involved with youth ministry or involved in youth culture for several years, who's had many, many conversations with students about life, about faith, about doubt, about God. Um, I'm speaking as someone who loves youth ministry, who deeply desires that every student that I come in contact with has an opportunity to encounter Jesus and his grace and his love through his word and through his people. But in the end, I get students for about two hours a week, uh, four if we go out and we play disc golf together, Quinn. <laughs> um, let's say the other 3,000 hours in the year uh, that they're not sleeping um, or they're not in school, that's influenced by parents in a crucial, crucial relationship. Uh, a lot of studies that, that highlight the, the mental, spiritual, physical health of students find that it is foremost influenced by parents. And the Bible has pretty high praise and expectations for parents. They, they're nurturers of uh, God's word and, and his discipline. That's Ephesians 6, 4. They're, they're called to train up children in the way they should go so they won't, de won't depart from it. In Proverbs 22.6, they're protectors of spiritual and physical needs. It's Ephesians 6.4. Again, it's a high calling. It's a difficult calling. And, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, can any of us do it well? And so I hope the, the rest of this morning is an encouragement to parents, an encouragement that, to parent and strive to parent from the heart of the gospel. Um, and, and a quote that I found from, from Charles Spurgeon really highlights that when he says, the more of parental teaching, the better. Ministers and Sabbath school teachers were never meant to be substitutes for mother's tears and father's prayers. Second, I'm talking to mentors. So these are people who either don't have kids or, or do have kids, but have invested in the lives of students who, who, are, who aren't their own. Psalm 145, uh, verse 5 says, One generation shall commend your works, God, to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Every person whose life has been touched, impacted by the death and the resurrection, the salvation of Jesus, is then called to share about that miracle of salvation. Parents are, are crucial but so are other caring adults who can maybe offer spiritual truths and love and grace from, from a different angle or from a different place. Uh, I was talking to a student and he was asking me questions. We were dialoguing through, you know, Bible and, and stuff. And, and he asked me my advice on something. I don't exactly remember what it was. Gave him my advice. Said, thanks, it's very helpful. I'm going to do that. And I talked to his dad. His dad was like, I've been saying that for like three weeks. Talk to the student again, he's like, yeah, sometimes I just don't listen to my dad because he's my dad, but I'll listen to you. 
Like, well, that's not fair, but I mean, okay, that's fine. <laughs> Either way, God uses it, right? But, but God is in a mentoring relationship as caring adults seek to, to guide students to know him better. But, um, and, and mentors come in, in, in many different shapes and sizes, right? They come in many different, in many different contexts, right? Maybe it is the, the youth leader on a Thursday who, who's connecting weekly. Maybe it's the, the coach on a Saturday afternoon that teaches godly discipline, but also compassion or empathy. It's the Sunday school teacher who, who meets a couple times a week. It's, it's the neighbor that invites a student over for coffee or board games to, to simply talk about what's going on in their life, to give them an outlet to, to wrestle with their faith in a, in a safe and loving environment without walk, necessarily walking away from faith. Jim Badke, Mr. Nazachuk, uh, Don Edmonds, these are all men who invested in my life when I was younger, and they weren't my youth leaders. They were, they were guys who, who saw me at church or, or saw me in a different context and, and called out the potential in me and, and invited me into a relationship with them so they can continue to point me towards Jesus. And I'm, I'm, I feel I'm indebted to those men for doing that. And, and uh, sometimes, you know, when, when talking to people about being mentors, to, to being invested in the lives of students, they come up with a few things they, they want. They, you know, they say, I don't know enough. There's no way I can, I can mentor a student. I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough at this faith thing. Or, or maybe I'm not cool enough. Which, like, honestly, joined the club. <laughs> I, I realized very shortly after I graduated high school that I was obsolete from youth culture. But I still have the ability to share what God's doing in my life. I still have the ability to, to share how God's gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ is impacting and changing the world today. Because ultimately, young people don't need people to be perfect. They need people to be present, who are willing to journey with them. So I'm talking to mentors. And finally, speaking to students, my people. Uh, the easy thing to do when things get tough is to abandon. It's easy when things get hard to walk away from faith, to, to walk away from parents, to walk away from mentors, because maybe the culture is pushing you in, in an easier way. But I hope this morning is an encouragement to you to keep leaning in. Your parents have a lot more wisdom than you give them credit for. They love you a lot more than you know, and, and, and they're doing their best. And, and parents and mentors may not know everything that's going on in the world or know every trend that's happening on social media or, or, or whatever, but equipped with the Holy Spirit and equipped with their own testimony, they may just have the words that you need to hear in the moment that you're in. And so I invite you to keep leaning in. And so with all that in mind, let's, let's dig into our passage. Yes, that was the introduction. I'm very sorry, but I learned from Eldon. So what do you expect? I don't know. Hey. <laughs> okay. How do we pass on our faith? How do we pass on faith to the next generation? Pass on faith by, by learning from the past, by living intentionally, and by distinguishing our faith journeys. So first, we pass on faith by learning from the past. Let me read verses one through four again. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. So the Bible is this, this story composed of, of many stories, this, this amazing narrative of, of a faithful God who is reconciling or redeeming his faithless and rebellious creation. And, and 
in that grand story, there are many different stories of faith and faithlessness, of, of good kings, of bad kings, of salvation, damnation, and, and, and obedience and rebellion. And, and all of it, we find, points back to the wonderful deeds of our Lord, to, to the amazing power and, and might that he has to reconcile his people. And our text is drawing attention to these hidden lessons of the past, these, these stories that are handed down that teach the truth about who God is. So we'll find there's plenty of examples in the Bible where, where it calls, God's people is called to remember, to remember who God is, to remember what he has done. And one of the, one of the main ones is remember the Exodus. So the Exodus, this time where, where God's people was in captivity for 400 years and, and through their groaning and, and, and their calling out, God hears them. He sends Moses and through plagues and through wonders and, and through the splitting of the Red Sea, he calls his people out of captivity. He saves them. And this moment becomes a moment that it's a hinge point in the Old Testament because it's constantly drawn back to as people remember who God is. We see Exodus 13.3, then Moses said to the people, remember this day, remember the Exodus, remember this day which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place, so no leavened bread shall be eaten." We see God continue to self-identify in the Old Testament as, I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. And, and this is all wrapped up in the name, the Lord, which is Yahweh. God's name in the Old Testament is completely filled with the narrative and the story of the, of the Exodus and, and every saving moment after that so that when the people of God hear the name Yahweh or when the surrounding nations hear the name Yahweh, they think the God who brought his people out of Egypt brought his people out of slavery. And, and they rely on that name because to know who God is or was is to know who God is in, in this present situation. So remember the past for the present. Same thing happens in the New Testament. We find we have two sacraments in church that we do quite regularly to remember what God has done in our lives. And that's communion and, and baptism, right? Communion, a time where we remember the upper room right before the, the king of kings was murdered on a cross to bear the weight and the punishment of sin. But before that, he met with his disciples in the room and they celebrated a feast. And it's actually, it's the Passover, which is the feast remembering the Exodus, right? And then Jesus takes this and he says, something new is happening here where Yahweh saved his people from slavery and now I am also, I'm saving you from the power of sin. So now this cup is the cup of, of my blood, of my covenant that, that is freeing you from sin. This, this bread that's broken is my body broken so that you can live. Right? We, we do communion to remember what Jesus, this, the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus. We, we also do baptisms, which Romans 6 reminds us that, that we're joined with Christ in his, in his death through baptism, dying to self, dying to our desires of the flesh, and, and we're raised to life, the newness of life through his resurrection. These two symbols of remembrance where we take a step back and remember how Jesus saved us through his death, through his resurrection, and through our belief. So we remember the past. It's, it's in remembering the past we're equipped for the present because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13, 8. 
And this remembering doesn't only apply to the Bible, but I, I also want to say that it, it applies to our own stories and our own testimonies. Right? I hope we can all agree that God is still working today, that, that his deeds are still glorious and wonderful and powerful. Amen? Cool. <laughs> and if we, if we believe that, if we believe God is still working, if we believe his deeds are still powerful, if we believe he is still saving people today, we need to be intentional about sharing how that's happened in our lives. Why were you baptized? How did the spirit of God grip your heart towards salvation? How did your faith survive the tragedy that you went through of, of death or of betrayal, or of punishment. And we share these things because our story may become a reference for someone, a student, a young person, a reference for them to keep their faith when they're going through similar times of struggle. So um, some of you might not know because it also wasn't on the screen. My last name is not actually Jackson. My last name is Cote Jackson. And I often go by Jackson because my first name is Cody. So it's Cody, Cody Jackson. And that's confusing for a lot of people. And so... Normally, just go by Jackson. But as, as Sid and I were getting married, we were talking about, do we want to keep Cote Jackson as our last name or just go with my, you know, my dad's last name, which is Jackson? And we decided to keep Cote Jackson because with that name comes a story. And it's a story that my parents have, have uh, graciously allowed me to share this morning on, on why that's my last name. So my parents were high school sweethearts. Uh, they were married young, and their marriage started on a very rocky uh, rocky journey from the beginning. My mom was very prone to jealousy or prone to anger. My dad, very absent, uh, really invested in, in party culture. And so when my two sisters were born, my mom wanted to give them the name Cote Jackson because she didn't see the marriage lasting. And, and when the marriage ended, she would want a clean break from my dad. So just cut off the Jackson part, they can keep the Cote part. And then I was born and, and I matched with them. And during that time, my mom had a knowledge of God, but, but the relationship uh, was more bargaining. So it was, you know, if you do this for me, then I will not do this anymore. Or, or if you do this, then I will do this. And when this didn't happen, it was just like, a, well, whatever, like either God's just not listening or what have you. But things started changing when, when she met this new person who's now her best friend. And, and this, this woman had a family and, and she went to Bible study. She went to a thing called Alpha and, and invited my mom to join her. And, and in a long process of three years, God started softening my mom's heart, softening her heart to the, to the things and ways of God, started softening her heart to my dad as well. And then after three years, a, a secret came to light that my dad had been trying to hide and, and had hidden for their whole marriage up to that point. And, and the secret came in the form of a letter from a 16-year-old girl who was looking to meet her dad. And uh, this was a, a child that my dad had out of wedlock. And, uh, and he was terrified because my mom had, had, was very jealous, very angry. He thought this was the end. So he brings this letter to my mom. She looks at it and she sees, you know, the picture fall out of this girl. And she says, we need to invite her into our lives. This, we need to love this young woman who just wants to know her dad. At that point, my dad, who looks like me, but like scarier, <laughs> broke down weeping on the ground. And, and he said, I need to know the God that heals brokenness, who, who, who changed my wife. 
So he started going to Alpha. He, he, he came to a, a saving knowledge of who Jesus was and, and who Jesus is in his life. And now I get to celebrate the, uh, the graduation of my niece this year, which is super cool. But the kicker to that story is uh, in, in God's amazing hand of power is that Miranda, my sister, tried to reach out three years prior, but the letter came back and said, deceased, Gary Jackson's deceased. And that was the time when the Lord just started working on my mom, right? And so she wasn't ready to, to show this forgiveness. Three years later, she was. God is still working today in mysterious and, and amazing ways. And, and as we share, they, they share this story with me. My mom shares this story with me. And now I have this reference point of God cares deeply about this family. He cares deeply about his people. And as we share how God cares and works in the little things or the big things in our lives, then we, then we can share about how God is also faithful in the big areas of, of salvation and of eternal life. And if God has worked in your life, how much more in the life of a student who can now hear this story and not walk through their circumstance alone? So we're called to pass on our faith, first by remembering the past, second by living intentionally. So we're going through verses five to seven that says, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children and the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So our author goes on to discuss this matters of, of law and of testimony. This is Israel being called out of Egypt where they were highly influenced by Egyptian gods and Egyptian rules. So they're called out to, to Mount Sinai where they're now being formed and molded to worship Yahweh, to worship the God who brought them out of Egypt. We see that Ten Commandments, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. And these laws were put in place so that Israel would be set apart, would be holy in the land surrounded by these, these conflicting nations, these conflicting understandings of gods. And, and attached to these laws were a promise that obedience is gonna lead to your flourishing. So in Deuteronomy 6, it says, uh, verse three, hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, them being the statutes, the commandments, uh, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly. And he continues in verse six, and, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down, when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The author of Deuteronomy is saying, these commandments, these, these things that you're being told, they need to be bound to your hands. Meaning every action that you do, everything that you build, everything that you grab, like this, this is molded by the law of God. He said it should be as frontless between your eyes, meaning your thought process, what, how, you, how you interpret different things. This should be molded by the law of God. And, and in that, you reflect a life of, of intentional worship. Uh, my wife, who is much wiser than I am, had said something at one point that I'm sure she made up by herself and no one else has ever said. Um, but as we were talking about parenting, she said, you know, things are easier caught than taught. And, and this idea that things that we model with our lives are shown to be more important sometimes than, than just things we say. As, as we live a life of discipleship, then students and other people start to see the fruit of discipleship in our lives and live in that way more than if we just say, don't do that because God said don't do that, or uh, God is watching, or you really want to be doing that when God, when Jesus comes back? 
Some people have heard it over here, that one. It's a good one. It's not a good one. Well, I mean, do what you do. Um, so, so in that modeling, teaching, intentionally living out the faith that we profess. And so then the question comes, well, do, I, do you want me to learn the Old Testament and just follow that to a T? Paul uh, in Galatians says this in, in Galatians 3.24. He says, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. And he, he goes on, he starts talking about how Jesus ushered in a, this new law, the, the law of the spirit. So more than external actions, the law of the spirit is an internal transformation that happens as people confess their belief, repent of their sins, and trust and follow God as, or follow Jesus as, as king. Because then his spirit, it says, dwells or resides. It, it lives he lives in every believer and he convicts and encourages and guides as, as we seek to daily die to ourselves, right? And being raised in the newness of life. And so this law of the spirit is, is dying daily to selfishness. It's dying daily to greed. It's, it's, it's dying daily to lying or mistreatment, to, to emotionalism, to self-entitlement, and being made more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And then inviting young people into the process where they can then also too be shaped and molded by the Spirit of God internally and then externally. Because a question I find a lot of students are asking is the so what? So what about Jesus? What, what does this, what we're doing here have to do with what's the evil that we see in the world? The wars, the famine, the, the droughts, all these things. What does singing on a Sunday do to help the, the poor in our neighborhood or the oppressed? What does uh, Jesus dying 2,000 years ago have to do with my issues of, of belonging or identity or purpose? And as we work through these questions, which, which you, they're, they're good questions to be asking, but as we work through them, instead of just giving a, a one-word answer, it's, it's a modeling of of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, how that impacts the world around us, and also how that is taught in the word of God. So how do you respond to fear or to tragedy or to complications in life? Is it, if, is it first anger or, or desperation or, or hopelessness? Or is, or is it the joyful hope that God works all things for the good of those who love him? Romans 8, 28. Is God uh, sovereign only when things are good? And then when things start to go bad and then suddenly you have to fix everything and, and now it's on you to make sure that things don't fall apart. Our response to blessing and our response to tragedy and how we live out what we say we believe is a statement and a testament to the faithfulness of God. So how do we intentionally live out faith in, in these seven days in our week? And finally, we pass on faith by distinguishing our faith journey. Uh, verse eight says this, and that they should not be like their fathers, uh, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Fathers, stubborn, rebellious. My dad's in the house. Kevin, put your hand down. <laughs> no, he, he, what, what the writer's talking about, he's talking about earlier generations of, of Israelites who, who all they wanted to do was, was worship other things. Instead of worshiping the God who brought them out of Egypt, they, they worshiped a golden calf or they worshiped Canaanite gods or, or they put their trust in other things, which if you read the rest of the Psalm, which is uh, many more verses that we're not gonna go through this morning, but you read the rest of it and, the, and it's, it's moment after moment of people rejecting God uh, to worship other things and, and God's response to that. 
And so to this, to, to distinguishing faith from, from our fathers or this idea, Paul uses a, a, a phrase in 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 that says, follow me as I follow Christ. Well, Paul here, he's not saying replicate everything I do, every action I, I make, every, every word I say, and do it completely to a T, the exact way that I do it. What he's saying is journey with me as I am made more and more like Christ and, and join in the process of learning and adapting to advance the kingdom of God in the situation that God has you in. Right? The church wouldn't have survived on a bunch of little Pauls running around. This church wouldn't survive on a bunch of little Eldons, although it would probably do okay. But it's this idea of, of following people who are following the Lord, learning from them, adapting it so that the same mission of advancing the kingdom of God can be done in, in varying contexts and situations. So a common phrase we use in youth ministry is, is to move away from your parents' faith. And this isn't a way to say like what your parents are teaching you is wrong and you should disregard everything they say because they don't know anything. It's, it's learning and adapting from, from what your parents have taught you and building on that to begin a process and a journey of faith on your own, right? Because your parents' faith is not going to save you. The only thing that saves is a personal relationship with Jesus where someone comes to repentance and, and, and belief in who Jesus is. And so we invite them to, to distinguish themselves from their parents' uh, religious practices so they can take part in their own faith journeys. And this is important. Uh, this is going to be the last study that I bring up, I promise. Uh, it's important because some new information is coming out about adolescence. And so uh, back in a few hundred years ago, or even a hundred years ago, their adolescence didn't even exist. It was, it was, you were a kid and then you were an adult. Um, but then they added this third phase, this, this adolescence in between, which was about like 12 to 19. And now they're finding adolescence is extending. So they're saying adolescence is 12 to 30. <laughs> I wasn't expecting laughing, but <laughs> they're, they're, okay. Bear with me, <laughs> extending it to 30. And so they've actually, uh, sociologists have come up with a new life phase that they're calling emerging adulthood. And so emerging adulthood, uh, adulthood is this idea of, of caring for others and, and using resources to care for others. Emerging adulthood has become, uh, what it, how do you, how do you uh, gain your own identity or, or how is it to, to become, uh, yeah, that, that becoming who you are type deal is emerging adulthood. And, and the reason they're finding this is extending so much is because the identity markers of adulthood are becoming harder and harder to hit. And so identity markers are these milestones that, that uh, kids or adolescents will hit and start to ground themselves in their own identity and then become the adults who can then care for others. But these milestones are getting harder to hit because it's things like buying a house. Yeah, right. It's things like getting married. That's getting, people aren't getting married until uh, much later now, having kids. Uh, finishing school and, and starting a career working full time for, for, they say, about like about a year. And these identity markers aren't being hit. And so something is now uh, going to the front of what, what it means to distinguish yourself. And a lot of stu the studies are finding that it's, it's faith. Students are using faith as an identity marker to distinguish themselves from their parents. And, and so religion and religious practices have become this, this opportunity to, to create your own identity. And, and when, it's, when there's these shallow relationships at church or church is simply functional, it's just something you do, then, then leaving the church is actually something that's, that's easy to do, 
right? And then they start forming their identity in places that aren't centered on gospel truth, uh, whether that's college or university or work, they start to form their identity there. And so two errors can come out of this. First is thinking, well, this is just the way that things are going, so it's normal, it's fine, we can just let this happen. And just because it's the way that it's going doesn't mean that it's the way it's supposed to be, right? The, the family of God is not meant to be something that you do, and then when you're tired of doing it, you just stop. It's a formational community of brothers and sisters that push each other towards Jesus. It's not functional. It's not just something you do. It, it's, it's essential to hearing from God. The, the, the body of believers is essential to hearing from God. You can't do Christianity alone. So how important is the body of Christ in your family? Is it a once in a while thing? Is it an every day until summer comes thing? And if so, then, then what's the message being shared? Some things to wrestle or, or just to think through. And you know, if you are part of the church and you've, you've planted yourself here, has there been effort to get to know the surrounding people in your family, in, in the family of Christ? Specifically, youth. Specifically, young people. Because if there's, if there's not an attempt to connect, if there's not an attempt to get to know the youth of the church, what does that say to them about their belonging and, and, and their, their place here? Right? They only make fun of your baldness a little bit, so you don't need to be scared of them. <laughs> but, but, so that, that's, that's the first mistake. Second mistake is we see students taking a different path than maybe we would, and we want to stop them. We say, that's not the way I would do it. That's not the way I think that is good. So we're going to cut that and, and, you, and slap their hand, get them back on the, the right path. Just because it doesn't fit uh, what, what I believe faith to look like. And, and something I want to challenge you with is students and young people are growing up and experiencing the world in a very different way than, than you experienced the world when you were a kid. Similarly, they're experiencing the world right now very differently than you're experiencing the world. And so different is okay. Follow me as I follow Christ is a statement that we embody by learning from the past and living intentionally and then walking with young people as they seek to understand who God is and, and, and how he's working in their lives, right? I have a student who I used to do Bible study with every, every Tuesday, I think it was, and uh, we would just work through books of the Bible. And now he's taken that and he's doing that in a public school setting, right? He's doing differently than I would, but I'm not there to like make, my, make it my Bible study my goal now is to continue to push him towards Jesus so then as he continues to adapt and to learn, then, then he continues to thrive in that environment. So as students navigate life, it's, it's to be, our job is to be a listener and not a lecturer, allowing them to experience faith and, and God in the way that he's revealing himself to them. And then we seek to partner with the Holy Spirit that is already at work within them to join in the work that he is already doing in them uh, so that we can continue pushing them towards Jesus. And so then the question comes out, well, what if what they're doing is wrong? <laughs> what if they're doing something that is not correct? My first question, and once again, not trying to anger anyone, but, but a question to wrestle through is wrong by whose standard? Is it wrong because it looks different? Because sometimes we can learn a lot of things about how students are, are reading a certain passage or, or how they're experiencing the love of God or how they're sharing the love of God. But there is a time for correction. Just because they're students doesn't mean that we let them go and believe whatever they want and do whatever they want to do. We, we want to bring them back to the word of God and, and to the truth of scripture. But students, I found, don't care about what you know until they know how much you care. 
And so we try to create this environment of loving dialogue, right? Uh, uh, to encourage study, to encourage discussion, to en encourage this dialogue, to, to, to lead them into a deeper knowledge of who God is as they wrestle through things uh, themselves. So how do we encourage continued faith? We learn from the past, be a learner of God's word, you share about your own experience with God. You live intentionally. Give action to the faith you're proclaiming. Allow for different. Be humble and, and open in dialogue, jumping to the Bible as a life preserver rather than a hammer. Making God a priority in, in our homes by valuing discussion and study and spiritual disciplines as a family. And, and support gospel-focused ministry. And I'll, I'll end with this. I'll invite the band to come on back up. Supporting gospel-focused ministry. So those are things like camp ministry, uh, youth ministry, which, which allows students to, to work through their understanding of God in uh, a safe place while also differentiating themselves from their parents, right? For, if you don't know, we run weekly programs. It was in the video. We have Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Thursday we run a program out of Harrison. And this is for the central north group. Where are my Central North guys at? Guys and girls? Boom, 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 boom. Beautiful. And, and this is an amazing, I, I love this program. I've loved helping out with this program. We have amazing leaders like, like Cindy and, and, and Viv and Randy, Conrad. Oh, did I miss anyone in this room? Yes, Len, there he is. Uh, they're amazing. They're incredible. They want to guide students, help guide students to be authentic followers of Jesus in every area of their life. Uh, and there's also not a lot of them. Uh, and, and if you don't know, my family and I, we are going to be moving away at, at the end of June, and, and we're, we're heading out. And so there's going to be one less. And so we do need help. And so if in this uh, sermon, this message, you felt the Holy Spirit tapping you on the shoulder to get involved with youth ministry, and, and even if that's committing to praying weekly for our youth ministry, or, or committing to volunteering weekly to, to lead youth in gospel discussions and, 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 and games and sometimes just playing ping pong with them, right? If, if that's something that you're interested in, I would love to talk to you after the service. Uh, we have a little desk back there. There's also a bop it. So if you want to play bop it, that's good too. But I want to invite you to, to take that step of faith uh, and commit to weekly loving students tangibly. So I'd, I'd, I'd love to talk to you about it. Uh, students, my final challenge is to you guys. Just looked right at Tiana. My challenge is to open up, to open up to your parents, to open up to mentors, to find mentors, um, and trust that God has been working in them longer than, than maybe he's been working in you, maybe even longer than you've been alive. And so the wisdom that they have, the encouragement that they have, it's not to be tossed aside, but something to be heard and, and discerned through and, and lovingly discussed with them. They have the wisdom to share. So... Uh, yeah, we're all called to pass on our faith. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this time that we could spend here in your word. God, I want to thank you for the students of Central. Um, it has been an honor to serve with them for these last four years. And, uh, and it's amazing to see your work in their lives. Uh, thank you for the way that uh, your spirit is moving, even when we feel like we're not doing enough. Uh, God, your grace is always enough. And so would this time that we spent in your word be an encouragement 
to, to know you greater, to lead out of a gospel-centered understanding of who you are and who you're calling us to be. And uh, would our hearts be transformed going into this week, going into this month, and uh, would we pass on our faith well? Pray this all in your name. Amen.